Hey guys, I did this podcast under a tight time frame, And because of that, I did not add a disclaimer that I should have when I originally shared this audio. This is a conversation that Emily and I had from the perspective of those who have agency and privilege and options to leave a place or a situation that is unhealthy. Some in abusive situations have no good options because of other circumstances. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode 59 of the Untangled Faith podcast. Today, my friend and several time guest, Emily Snook, joins me. We talked about why do my friends, why do people who care about me and people who know better stay in unhealthy organizations? Why do people continue to support leaders that are unhealthy, even in the face of evidence that is pretty compelling? that there is something wrong. I just, I'm super excited about it. And I know you will find it very valuable. Why are our friends, you know, people call us friends still sitting with and supporting those that have hurt us. So what we don't want to do is go through life in relationships, in our jobs, in our churches, refusing to hear people who say bad things about our team because they might be true and it might matter. Leaders who have authority over other people's lives, that is immature, irresponsible nonsense. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Hey there, I am so excited to have Emily Snook back on the podcast today. Emily is a good friend of mine. You met her while she was on the podcast during our series on grief earlier in 2022. And I love talking to her. You love listening to her insights. She just thinks deeply about things and just has this burden to call us all to be better. And so I knew that when I read this book, it was actually a political book that David French recommended by Tim Miller called, um, the name of the book was Why We Did It. And It explained the answer to why did people make decisions to support politicians against like their own principles, their own stated values. And he wrote this as a way of providing a framework of explaining. As I read it, I thought, first of all, I thought this is a fabulous framework for talking about these discussions that we're having in our church communities or faith communities. And as I was thinking, how can I have this conversation for you all? I thought of Emily. I thought Emily would love to talk about this. And I knew that she'd have some things to add to the conversation that would be so, so helpful. I was not wrong. Here's my conversation with Emily. Welcome, Emily Snook. Welcome back to the podcast. I love talking to you here. It's so good to be here. I feel like I never left. This is what I love. So many of us in this like Twitter world, we're like, let's just talk to Emily. Let's bring her on a podcast. You talk to Jana on the Bodies Behind the Bus. Yeah. You care about this world. 
and you've spent a lot of time thinking and processing and making sense of everything. Yeah. It leads to a great conversation. That's why this is why we love to do this. You care about it and you've thought about it. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is for me is that like, it's not that I have like all of this smart insight about it at all. Like to me, it's not that. It's that like, I'm trying to make sense of it for myself. And so I'm constantly trying to think yeah. through it because yeah, that's that how sense. I interact with the world is by I love thinking it. through it and talking through it. So, um, yeah. It's our sense-making journey. We can kind of, you know, have other people come with us on the journey. It's a good thing. The timing of this is really interesting. I've been thinking about, since I read Tim Miller's book, um, Why We Did This, David French had recommended it. When you mentioned that in the email that you sent me, I was like, Amy, we are the same person because (laughs) I listened to that book in a day. Like, and then it was so fast. And then I immediately listened to it again. Um, Okay. I love this. This is high praise. If, if you say we're the same person, so this fits the Venn diagram of our faith world too. It felt so politics similar to me. And like, I couldn't, even though it's so different, it felt so similar. And, and I think that's a, I think one of the things for me that has been either helpful or paralyzing, I haven't decided yet, is um, (laughs) is getting as many different ways of understanding the dynamics at work, even Mm -hmm. though the details are different, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Tim's book. Yeah, let's set up the problem here. Like, we're sitting here thinking, Mm -hmm. why are people supporting the bad guys? And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. politics in this mm-hmm. podcast. We talk about faith communities. I would love to have a solution mm-hmm. for this. I'm not sure that we're going to have a solution, yeah. but we're going to maybe have like yeah. some empathy, maybe make sense of it, talk through this. Yeah. And I, I love that we both read this book. So that's the problem yeah. we're talking about today. This resonates with us, and I think it resonates with you guys who are listening. Mm-hmm. Why are our friends, mm-hmm. you know, people who call us friends, still sitting with and supporting those that have hurt us? Yeah, I, th- I think another thing that I would highly recommend to make sense of those questions, two things, is um, Mike Rinder's book, A Billion Years. Oh, that's right. He's a Scientology he guy. Scientology, yeah. And he was like one of the most senior people in Scientology. He, like his parents were Scientologists and he was with L. Ron Hubbard as a teenager. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, so that, and then also the HBO documentary, The Val about Nexium and Keith Raniere. And yeah, Yeah, season two, part two has just come out. and, And part two actually is like, part one is about like, how you get into those things Mm -hmm. and how you wake up from it and like realize what it is. But a lot of part two is actually people who, when all of the truth has come out and it's so terrible and they're still there. Yeah. There's just two, there's only a couple episodes out so far. And the first two episodes have been, have had the whistleblowers and have had the stayers and they've both kind of given their perspectives. Um, 
I like it because it's an extreme example, mm-hmm. right? Because there's no way to look at it objectively and be like, okay, I can see both sides. <laughs> like um, the the mountain of evidence and the trial and just the horrible evilness of it makes it makes it so stark. Mm-hmm. But then those why do people stay things are still there. It's like a it's like a training to be able to recognize it then when it's not so stark and it's more subtle mm-hmm. and and maybe even more gray. Like there's there's no gray when it comes to Keith Raniere. Oh, but yeah. for these other people, there are gonna be gray. And so that's so that's the thing that's frustrating in our real lives, right? There's some real evil people out there, like Keith Raniere. Who's trafficking people? Um, and then there's all the in between. It's it's complicated. So those mm-hmm. of us who know Emily, we know something about you. We know you love a good metaphor. I do. We know you love a good framework. As you start to make sense of why people mm-hmm. stay, why are they still supporting mm-hmm. these people? What have been ways you have been working through this? Yeah. Um, it sounds bananas to me but the thing that I've really done is just like learned the most that I can about the worst versions of things so that I can recognize it when it's on the scale right so I've I've been thinking about it like yeah which is why it helps to watch like like the vow or right right because or you know Scientology chef stuff Right, because because it's it's not that they're the same thing. It's like it has the same smell, right? So like think about like a chemist or other kinds of scientists. Like a lot of times they before they'll run tests on something, they'll smell it or look at the consistency of it and say, like, okay, I I see a sign of this other thing here, right? So like if if this compound if this chemical has this smell, then I know it has this component to it. And and so and the way that they know that is like say if they're a chemist, then they they work with the pure extreme forms of that thing, right? So they they know it and they understand it and they have this depth of familiarity with it. So then in other circumstances, when there's just the aroma of it and it's subtler and it's mixed in with other things and, and, it, and it's not that thing, but it has a piece of it there, they recognize it, right? And so that's what I'm trying to do for myself is to learn the most that I can about manipulative control, abusive systems and institutions from like everything from governments to like domestic relationships yeah. and everything yeah. in between. Um, and and not in a like voyeuristic kind of way, but in a what can I understand about what it is about us that makes us susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that it's given me a framework for is that we all have these vulnerabilities and that, and that there are people who are on a spectrum of it, right? Like if we think about it in terms of cults, like it's this is a cult, this is not a cult, like here's the definition of it. And, right, and, yeah. and there is some truth to that, but also things can be um, as Sarah and Nippy who are, 
subjects of the um, yep, yep. the Vow documentary say a little bit culty. And there can just be that little flavor of stuff in there. And I, I think that sometimes we want it to be like, okay, I'm going to have a checklist of things. And like, if I check off these things, then I know this is bad. I have to leave. This is good. I can stay. And really what usually happens is there's those extreme examples, but Mm. most of the time there's going to be things on the checklist for leaving and things on the checklist for staying. And we have to, we have to have enough understanding of the good and the wrong to to know how to discern which 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 thing is even possible yeah um but but also what's wise and right and and maybe even what we're called to and and so those those things could be different for different people right but then sometimes there's cases where it's clear and it's not different like the, there's a right thing for everyone to do and and so so I think the difficulty is once you learn to see the things, you know how to see them. That's not the difficulty, um, at least not for me. The difficulty for me is, okay, now I see these things everywhere. So where do I start drawing my lines? Because this is a great place to start. Yeah. Um, first is that understanding that we are also curious. Emily and I are curious because we have been inside things we would not have signed up mm-hmm. for if we had thought they were cults. Nobody says, sign yeah. me up for a cult. Sign me up for a high control group. Nobody says yeah. that. Yeah. This isn't voyeuristic. This is because we've been mm-hmm. inside and because we found ourselves like we had our eyes closed at mm-hmm. one point too. That's why we're reading and watching yeah. and listening. Yeah. And trying to grasp the good and the bad mm-hmm. and all the nuance. I mean, back to Tim Miller's book, that I, I think one of the reasons that it resonated with me is that all of the things that he was talking about in sort of a very like political machine kind of way, I experienced in a personal way around politics without yeah. the machine there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't my job. The trying to figure out like, why people that you know and respect and love and care about like look at the same things as you like even if you can see the rationalization and you can figure it out and lay it out even if it makes sense it still doesn't make sense yeah i want to talk about (laughs) some of those these categories that were mentioned in tim miller's book And here's the part of the podcast where Emily and I really start digging into the different categories mentioned in Tim Miller's book. I will link the book in the show notes so that you can read it yourself, but we're going to kind of walk through some of the different categories of people, types of people that he explained in the book. Here we go. He wanted to explain why people Mm -hmm. stuck with Trump and it doesn't matter where you're politically in this, but... Um, well, and, and just to clarify, like, he's talking about people who... Who... Yeah, who maybe wouldn't have or, or him people who abandoned work that he had done with them, principles that he had seen them espouse. Like, it, it's not a matter of, 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 of what they did, and or even about Trump. It's a matter of, like, 
him saying, okay, this doesn't match what I knew of you and what I personally experienced of you. And so what about being yeah. a part of this group? Yeah, how did this happen? A part of this organization, this institution is is more important to you than what I thought yeah. I knew of you as a person. So stay with us. We're going to land this plane. We are. <laughs> it's not just going to be about Tim Miller's book, but we found his categories really helpful. Very helpful. For people that are wondering why. Why is my friend still mm-hmm. comfortable in this environment or not able to even talk about this with me yeah. and they're still inside? And I really wish they would be willing to open their eyes. So Tim Miller's talks about Tim Miller talks about different categories. The first one is the Messiah or junior Messiah that stays because they believe that by staying, they're keeping something worse from happening. Let's stop there for a minute because I think that's true to an extent. Yeah. Right? Like maybe if I stay, I can make it better. Yeah. And or and not terrible. And so that may be a true thing. Like you may stop bad things. You may push good things. Um, you may be able to make change. Like I, I think it's hard when you're in it yep. to step back and say, oh, I, I thought I was doing this good thing and, or I thought I thought I was stopping this this thing and I did stop it, but I was actually mm. enabling all yeah. of this. Oh, man. That's the line. How do you know what's the difference and how can we be introspective enough to right. know? The other category with the demonizers these are people who stay supporting a person or an organization because they feel so attacked. Mm-hmm. Something integral to who they are. We're attacked mm-hmm. by people that are against that organization or that person. Right. Yeah, they look up to that person. So they right. think if those people are attacking that, then then they must be against things I love. So I should stick with this person that's being attacked. And so I think this is a thing where being well-informed about high control groups is actually helpful because a universal thing there is us versus them. Mm, And that, um, anything that is anything that is against any part of the group or especially any leadership of the group is actually an attack against you and everything you believe and everything that's good in the world. And, and the demonizing of the them that's out to get us is, is, is the, is one of the key, controlling factors in a high control group and i have to support this person or this place otherwise i'm Mm -hmm. gonna lose the culture war or Mm -hmm. i'm sorry you're offended by them but my Mm -hmm. way of life is at risk Mm -hmm. yeah and and if the other side are demons (laughs) you can justify a lot to stop demons and and so what happens is people actually start to become what they accuse others of for the sake of protecting what they think is good from something that is bad. And, and so, and so one of, one of the ways that you recognize this, I think this is an easier one to recognize than some of the others. One of the ways that you recognize it is, does it require me to do or become what I say they are in order to protect against us against it? Does it require me to act in a way that is against our stated goals, values, principles to protect those principles from something? Yeah. And, and so and so for me, that one is easier to 
that's that's a thing that's easier to suss out if it's about teams and one of the teams is inherently bad um who are we becoming what are we doing and and especially in the context of, of our faith right like we don't dominate our enemies we don't conquer our enemies we don't become like our enemies to defeat them we love them and reconcile with them that word literally in it's a it's a french word that we put into english and in french it literally means to become friends again if our expression of our faith is us versus them that's a that's more culty than it is christ-like you're saying all these things as if of course this isn't christ-like but the more i've listened to the discourse online the more common this us versus mm-hmm. them discourse is people feel very threatened mm-hmm. i see so much fear mm-hmm. of the other <laughs> it's yeah. very very common so i can see how somebody might stick with somebody or stay in a group just because mm-hmm. it might be the last bastion of hope against the other yeah and and i i think the only defense for that is is to understand that like is to be just very Sunday school cliche and to understand where our hope is and that there is no threat to the victory of Jesus and the power of the gospel. There are hindrances to it, but there is no threat to it. Like God, God does not need us to give him power. God does not need us to protect power for him. God does not need us to protect men in power in, in our churches or or to protect through the reputation of people. Like what what God requires of us is that we tell the truth no matter what it costs and we face it unflinchingly. Like if you look at the testimony of scripture like um like in Hebrews 11 the 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 heroes of the faith right well the old testament does not pull punches talking about these people right like abraham (laughs) sucks moses sucks david sucks like they're awful they do terrible things like like these heroes of our faith like we we tell the truth about them and and the reason that they get included in and Hebrews 11 is not because they're so awesome, because the point of Hebrews is that Jesus is the better of all of these things, right? And so and so their inclusion in Hebrews is not, look how good all of these people were, and like we can just shine them up and, and not have to tell the truth about them and not have to hold them accountable um, because Jesus needs them to be really happy and shiny. It's that um, because of Jesus, we can tell the unvarnished truth about who we are and where we have come from and have confidence that his justice and his redemption will be made complete in those things. And the the Old Testament narrative that Hebrews is referencing is over and over again an example of God laying bare people who have power, people who have influence, people who have the ability to either harm or help other people, and God laying that bare and holding them accountable and then raising up good despite that. And so if we're so afraid of what will people think if they know about this, like to me that tells us we have not paid attention to our Bibles enough. 
Oh man, Emily, that that's good. So another category from Tim Miller is the LOL. Nothing matters. These are the nihilists. I have the least amount of patience for these. <laughs> you know, these would be the people you see them in Christian organizations mm-hmm. for sure. It happens in churches too. Mm-hmm. I've seen it at Ramsey. Mm-hmm. It's very common. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, I see it's bad. Some things are wrong, but I'm just going to recategorize everything in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's bad, but you know, everything's bad. I no longer think this is great. I no longer yeah. think it's special, but it doesn't matter. There's no place I can go yeah. that's good. And it's all a dumpster fire, so it doesn't matter. LOL, doesn't matter. And I, I actually I actually think there's a I think LOL nothing matters is probably not something that you're going to hear explicitly in a church context as much. Like everything is bad, it's fine, nothing matters. I think I think what you're gonna hear is a subtler version of that, which is why don't you focus on good things? like stop like whatever that's not a big deal like think about this well instead. how about well there's like, no good or, perfect church right there's no perfect church right or um I, and and i think this can tie in with the thing that we just talked about the us versus them thing is okay well what about the bad things over what about the bad things over there that they're doing like what aboutism is the death of consistent moral integrity it is the death of it and, um, and so like the, well, you know, whatever, like that's not a big deal, but also I'm really concerned about this over here. Like, I, I think those two things go hand in hand a lot. I don't know. I, th- I think the nihilism, like you said, is going to be more of a, um, more of a thing probably. Oh, we're all sinners, right? Right. And I think that we also see it, um, we see it a lot in dismissing things as a joke. Mm-hmm that um like like a lot of whatever we were just joking like it's fine like that it's not a big deal and so it's not it's not that it's not that nothing matters usually in our context it's that nothing matters that doesn't matter to me oh yeah because we have different things that matter to us right the next category that i've written down are the tribalist trolls and I wrote a note mm. to myself to think about whether tr- using the word tribal is appropriate. Is that disrespectful? It was in the book mm. by Tim Miller. I think you can use I think you can use the word mm. partisan here yeah, and that's it's better. And mm-hmm. because that doesn't have to that doesn't have to be political, right? Like you can be partisan like it just means like a to sure, a yeah, party yeah. to, right? So you can be partisan you can be partisan to a football team. Yeah. You can be partisan to a political party. You can be partisan to a denomination. You can be partisan to a celebrity or <laughs> a mega yeah. pastor or um, or a philosophical viewpoint. Like so, yeah. yeah. So, so, so to the me, partisan it's, troll. They're about owning the people mm-hmm. that are the enemy, right? It's not right. about loving the the community necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's, about it's all team. about teams, right? Tell me about that. Yeah, so I mean, this is this is a thing where I think the politics metaphor really helps because um, if all that matters is if Democrats win or Republicans win, no matter what they do, 
because of what team we're on and it's and we've decided it's better if our team wins man i don't know like i um okay so metaphor time um think about it like like cheering for a team in a sport like like i love ou i live just down the road from ou we've been ou fans in my family since as long as i can remember um <clears throat> i love um OU softball, OU gymnastics, OU football, like I love all the things, right? Love them. And so I have this affinity, right? I have this my team thing. And then I also have personal connections. Like I know some athletes, I know some coaches, I have friends and family who are students and employees and um, you know, I, I go for a walk on campus all the time. And, and so I have personal connection there as well. Right. So think about it. Like there's, there's this, um, there's this weird, like familiarity that is both real and not real. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so let me explain. Um, I say we, right. Like we won, we did whatever, but I wasn't there. <laughs> Yeah. Or if I was there, I wasn't on the field. I wasn't wearing a uniform. I I was definitely not doing flips off of bars up in the air, right? So so when I say we, I mean we because I'm part of this bigger community, right? And I have connection to it, but I'm not the one doing it. And so we have that in in sports, and I think that's fine as long as it's healthy. But it's different when we imply that same mentality of this is the team that I've picked for whatever reasons, and they can be good, valid reasons like my reasons, right? And no matter what happens, I am on the side of this team. And I think that I know them because I have an affinity for them. And I think that they know me and care about me and are for my best. But we're, we're not talking about 20-year-old athletes who are getting their school paid for and trying their hardest. We're talking about people in power, people with agendas, people whose personal lives we do not see, people who, who we don't have the same connection even that I have to the football players that I pass on my walk sometimes on their way back to the dorm. And so as as crazy as it would be for me to say, oh yeah, I passed those kids on the sidewalk the other day. So I absolutely know this thing about them is true or not true or whatever. Like, I don't know that. I know yeah. that they wear the jersey that has the name that I like on it. And that's the most that I know, unless I have some other kind of avenue for connection or knowledge there, right? And so I think what we've done is we've extrapolated this fan idea, this partisanship of the team that we've picked into all kinds of things that are not supposed to work the way sports work. Politics is one of those things and church is sure one of those things. Yeah. When it comes to sports, we pride ourselves on a loyalty. Mm -hmm. We're not a bandwagon fan. Right. We're not bandwagon fans. We are going to go mm -hmm. down with the ship. Right. And you're seen as a good fan if you are completely loyal through thick and thin. 
But when you apply that to a church or a leader, things that affect people's lives, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. So the more partisan you are, the more likely you are to protect mm -hmm. and defend the things that are indefensible. Emily and I will be right back after this brief message. If you have not already joined me on Patreon, there is no time like the present. The Patreon community is the primary way this podcast is funded. And as a thank you for their support, my patrons receive access to bonus audio that doesn't get shared with the public. This week, I'm sharing bonus audio of this conversation with Emily, in which we dive a bit deeper and talk about betrayal blindness and how our very bodies get in the way of us seeing the truth. You don't want to miss this one. You can access all of this by going to patreon.com slash untangled faith. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Now back to my conversation with Emily. And also like, like think about um, where you're getting your information from the team about, right? So in my family, we usually turn on the radio and turn off the TV announcers because we don't like the TV announcers. We think they're biased against us because we're, you know, and, and we want to hear Toby and Teddy because we know them and we like them and they're smart and we, you know, we want to listen to them. And so, and okay, Toby and Teddy. Toby and Teddy, that's right. And so we, uh, and we talk about them on a first name basis, like they're our friends. So, so we want to hear our people describe what's happening in the game to us, right? We don't want to hear the announcers on TV who are supposed to be objective and, and maybe objective, but because they don't say everything that we think about our team, we think that they're biased against us. And so right. we filter out voices that don't reinforce our loyalty and our affinity to our team. And again, like that's fine for a football game, but in real life things that affect other people's lives, it would be wildly irresponsible for us to apply the same, to apply the same filters of, of what tells us about the world and what tells us about ourselves. Because going back to high control groups, like, like when people in Scientology would get access to the internet, they would just Google whatever. And they think that everybody thinks the same thing about them that they do, except for the group of bad people, right? And then when they start getting unfiltered information mm. that's not about supporting the team, but about telling the whole truth of the story, they say, right. oh, wait. And having that filter on the information that they have about the world has affected their lives and the lives of other people. And so what we don't want to do is go through life in relationships, in our jobs, in our churches, refusing to hear people who say bad things about our team because they might be true and it might matter. All right. One of the other ones, and I don't know how common it is in the faith context. I'm talking about the category of strivers. Ambition keeps them there. Is this common in faith? I mean, I think it is common in certain areas. So like, I mean, in the conversation that we have about like Christian celebrities, 
like and relationships between them within yeah. the world that whole system yeah and so celebrities like pastors who just want to go to the next bigger church and the way that you do that is be- you become one of the guys like you but be- you you become you get in the circle and then you get ready yeah like if you want a book contract you run a you know you're gonna write a book you want to be get signed mutually by this. recommended for things like yeah it's a whole big thing yeah and so I, I think that probably exists more in the context of leaders, quote unquote, than it does in like, yeah, if you're employed by this sort of place. Yeah. Or, and, but I also think that there's, I mean, sometimes in a church you have, you have people who may have, if they could just be the chairman of the deacons, like they could be in charge. Or yeah, so some of these categories kind of smush into each other. They're not like yeah, yeah, they do isolated. I I don't really think of it as categories so much as like like a framework, maybe yeah, just sort of. And and some people fit in more than one of them, and sometimes they interact with each other within one person. You know. All right, so now we have the little mixes. Mm -hmm. These people want to be in the room where it happens. happens. By the cool people, they like that association with Mm -hmm. power or, you know, this happens a lot in celebrity Mm -hmm. environments, Mm -hmm. Christian culture, celebrity, people want to say that they hung out with the powerful person and the well-known person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is especially a thing that is tempting in a specific way that is maybe not ego driven, but um, more like either need or lack driven for women and minorities because we have been excluded from the room for so much of the time that when we get in it, we want to stay. And like, I know that's been me. And, and we've heard that story from a lot of our black and brown brothers and sisters as well as like, this is a room that they're going to let me in. And so I think it's not necessarily about even about an ambition or wanting to be in the glow of the limelight when you get some of that afterglow, you know, on you. I, I think that is there, but I think also for some people, there's a subtle or version of that of the door to the room has been closed to me for so much of the time and now it's being opened and don't I owe it to all the other people who haven't been allowed in the room to go be there. So, and so it, it can be a thing that is like the first one for good intention and maybe even be true a little bit. And so it's not even that these things are necessarily completely bad or wrong. Some of them are things that are, that are right and true and that have good motives, right? Or or even unrecognized motives in people. It's so much harder to sort out why am I still here and is it right for me to be in those situations or even be in a place where you can ask the question or feel like you can, you know? Okay, I like this next one. This is the Peter Principle Deniers. So the Peter Principle is the principle that people will rise mm-hmm. to the level of their incompetency. You know, people get promoted to a certain thing, and then suddenly at that mm-hmm. level, they just can't perform. Yeah. 
So the Peter Principle deniers are the people that have a position that they would never have so much. So much. Wow. You know, and this sometimes happens Mm -hmm. in politics and in faith communities. They get something they're not qualified for or they would never be allowed to have. Mm -hmm. That's right. They don't want to give that up. So those people are not Mm going to want to notice when something is unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I personally have been on church staffs with people like, how are you here? (laughs) Like... You don't know how to do your job. You're not interested in doing your job. Your your job is harming <laughs> more than helping. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think they're not going to have a lot of motivation to speak up about things or to, you know, stand up for someone mm-hmm. who might be in a vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I just, I mean, I want to say like, I have friends who are pastors who are brilliant and capable and, and I mean, and I mean, I mean, my husband was a pastor for years, but he can do all the things like literally all the things. Um, like he has had all the jobs and is the best person at his job at all the jobs. Um, it's super annoying. He's good at everything, but, um, so there are people like that, but then they're in, um, like medieval to like, say, Edwardian year England times. So the so you have the nobility, right? And so there's the first son who inherits everything, and then the second son who is kind of like the lesser noble, and then a lot of times the third son, it's it's like a cliche, right? The third son goes and becomes the priest because that's just how they get a living then. <laughs> and so this idea of a second or third son of a nobility, like you just become a priest because that's what you do to make a living. I think that there are too many people that this is a way that I can have influence and authority. This is a way that I can have a position of, of people that I would not have otherwise. Or maybe people who are not equipped or are not temperamentally the right fit to be in pastoral roles, but they're a good speaker. And the thing is they don't have the equipping, the education, the ability to do other things. And so, and so the actual ministry part of ministry is, is minimized. And and so I think, I think that there are a lot of people on platforms who are there because they're good at being on platforms and they are not good at being pastors. And man, I I just think that is a recipe for disaster for us. And what I think is also a problem with these sorts of, Mm -hmm. like an unhealthy organization can end up with people that work for them that get promoted and get raises over and over again, right? And it's not because Mm -hmm. they're really amazing at the skills Mm -hmm. that they have or the position they hold, but it's because they value loyalty so much, they continue to bump up the amount of money somebody's been given and the authority they have internally. That's right. And then suddenly these people have jobs that they could not get paid this much somewhere Mm -hmm. else and their, you know, standard of living has gone up Mm -hmm. and they're in this place that they have to stay in order to continue to support the lifestyle that they have become, you know, accustomed to. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's on a spectrum too, right? Like there are people who just like straight up don't belong there. And then there's people that like just need help or just are in the wrong, they're just in the wrong fits and they could get in the right fit. And then there are people who, who are working hard and are awesome and who, um, have right motives and, and they don't have those same issues happening. And so what happens is they don't end up on the stages. They don't end up being the ones being heard because, because in, in a church setting where, where everything revolves around the stage and the celebrity person on the stage, what happens is the person who is called pastor is not actually the person who's pastoring in that church. It's the pastoring is being farmed out to other people who don't have that title, right? And so then our our understanding of what pastoring is gets warped, right? And so then we start judging pastoring by platform instead of by actually shepherding and caring for the people in the church. And so that that warping filters down, right, to the bivocational pastor in a small rural church who actually is really good at the pastoring part and maybe doesn't have the education or the most writers or whatever to be an amazing speaker. And, but there's all these platforms filtering into the thing. And so what happens is that preacher that they're listening to, they think of as their pastor, even though the person actually pastoring them in real life loses that voice that they're supposed to have. Right. Because what's supposed to happen is that it's not supposed to be that someone earns the right to speak into you, to speak authoritatively to you by first caring for you in a sacrificial shepherding kind of way. And so what happens is we get it flipped and someone is good at talking. And so we impart that like skill with authority and with moral goodness. And then we leave out all of those other qualifications and protections that are supposed to be there. And so that's how people in in situations where they have an abusive leader and only the people who are close know it because the idea of what leadership is is just what happens on the stage. And so that disconnect actually enables the abuse and the toxicity and it and it also enables the people who are who are on those stages they're hurting themselves too, right? Like that's right. bad for them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the solution to that is. Yeah. You know, we don't um, really have a solution, right? I mean, I have I have zero solutions. I do think it's important to recognize the disconnect there. The qualifications for a pastor have a lot more to deal with how you treat people with gentleness and care than your ability to say words on a stage. I think that we have some very deep cultural internalized malformations around that that have been happening for a long time. And I mean, and then they're there in the New Testament, right? Like, are you Apollos's? Are you Paul's? Like, that's not a new thing. It's what we do as human people. Like, we, we've we been building pedestals since, since we could build things. I think that in the American white evangelical church particularly, we've made these platforms into pedestals and we've completely divorced pastoring from actual pastors. That's so interesting because I think there are two yeah. applications to this sort of category. And one 
is that you can end up being a really unhealthy leader when you find yourself with an amount of authority and power Mm -hmm. because you want to hang on to it so badly. Yeah. Yeah. And you tell yourself you're doing it for Mm -hmm. the right reason. You know, and it might be not be somebody that's super high level, but they can still Mm -hmm. see unhealthy things happening from their vantage point. But because of what they have to lose, they're so afraid. Mm -hmm. Uh, What if we can't, you know, this is discipleship issue too, right? Like to say, the only way God can use Mm -hmm. me is if I'm here. God can't use me somewhere else. Right. And it's a pride thing Mm -hmm. too, to say God needs me Mm -hmm. so much in this place. I am so important, you know, for God's work to be done. Yeah. I have to stay. So I have to sacrifice, Mm -hmm. you know, integrity maybe or other people. Mm -hmm. And is it conscious or subconscious somewhere in there though i yeah, think they and, know and I, I mean i think that I, you're right i think it's been intentionally or unintentionally discipled into us for for our whole generation um for sure and so i think a lot of the deconstruction untangling whatever we're going to call it is is people saying wait a second like what what actually is are we supposed to be doing here and where, where's our focus supposed to be? What are our priorities supposed to be? What is the nature of our relationship to these different ways of how we do church supposed to be oriented? Oh, that's good, Emily. All right. So one of the categories that really gets to me about that describes why people stay, why they continue supporting people when they shouldn't, are the compartmentalizers. Mm -hmm. It is so very, very common. Yeah. I've been a compartmentalizer. These are the people that have some point seen something. They know inside Mm -hmm. that some things are really wrong, but they have recategorized how they see where they work or where they worship or this person. And they have done some things to make sure that they don't see the bad Mm -hmm. news uh, maybe they go a different route to work. Maybe they drive a different place. Maybe they turn off some news sources and mm-hmm. they just keep tracking forward, knowing that there are certain mm-hmm. places they are not mm-hmm. going to look. I think there's a couple of different ways this happens. Like either we refuse to see or we see it and we refuse to to see how it impacts other things. And so that's why I think the compartmentalization is good because we say, well, there's all these walls here and this thing is over here in this room. So if we think about it in terms of of like a a building, right? Like let's say a house. There is a wood shop in my garage and I am very allergic to all the things that are in it. And so it makes me itchy to go in there. So we like keep the door shut, whatever, but like it's still in my house. And so teeny tiny pieces of sawdust get brought into my house on clothes, on shoes, when, you know, in between things. And and so it's still in my house. And so is the wise thing for me to do to say, okay, but that's out there and that's Mm. not my problem. Like that's not my space. That's not my thing. And I've shut the door to it. Or is the wise thing for me to do to be like, okay, I I need to be sweeping regularly. (laughs) I need to be mopping regularly so that I can deal with this. 
And so to recognize that we can't just shut the door to something and expect that it's not going to get into the rest of the house. Right. And for a little bit of sawdust, that's fine. But what if it weren't sawdust and allergies? What if I was Kryptonian and he's out there like cutting up pieces of kryptonite and bringing it in? Like that's a different situation, Are you right? You're Kryptonian. Like, I'm not. I'm very much not. Um, I'm pretty sure that Superman is not allergic <laughs> to all of nature. Um, but so if you deny something exists, right? You can't do anything about it, right? And it puts you in danger. Like think about a horror movie, right? Okay, if we go in here and close this door, then the werewolf will not get us. I'm sorry. The werewolf is not going to be stopped by your closed door. What do you mean, Emily? Yeah. What, I have a great door. It's a really good front door. What's going to stop the werewolf is recognizing that it's a threat, being wise and having tools, and either fleeing it or destroying it. Running in and closing a door never, ever stops the thing in the horror movie that's coming to kill you. And But we have this idea of, if I can't see it, if, if I tell you, hey, stop talking about that, it makes me feel bad, then I'll feel better, maybe, but like, or you'll not realize until it's so bad that you can't pretend anymore how sick you've actually been. Yeah, I think there's a lot of dissociation that happens. And and it I mean it is a self-protection thing like we can't we can't handle everything all the time. And so sometimes you do need to put things away and and sometimes things can be compartmentalized, right? Like like there there are things like the sawdust in the garage that like I can compartmentalize that and I can deal with it. I can run my robot vacuum every couple of days and and I can deal with it and I can shut the door and it's fine. But there are things that I that we can't do that with. And if we can't tell the difference, we're going to let that poison seep into us all while pretending that it's not there and it doesn't matter and be mad at the people who are trying to warn us about it more than the poison itself. And that is just, I'm going to say, from people who insist on being leaders who have authority over other people's lives, that is immature, irresponsible nonsense. And then for the people who who are maybe, you know, the people in the pews, yeah, it's, it's scarier to open the door. But you don't want to be the person in the horror movie hiding in the room at the end of the hall, pretending, watching TV, pretending everything is fine. And it's impacting you little by little, whether you know it or acknowledge it or not. Yeah, that's right. And you either mm -hmm. join it or mm -hmm. <laughs> little by little, or you get destroyed. It comes for you. A better both. analogy there is probably like zombies. Isn't that how The Walking Dead works? You become <laughs> a zombie or they kill you. Yeah. Right. We can't right. pretend away. We can't butt this good thing away. Bad things. You guys, I loved this conversation with Emily so much. If you loved it, I would love to hear from you. Send me a note on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook. You can find me. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook and Faith Untangled on Twitter. I loved this conversation with Emily so much. 
we initially had an hour and a half recorded and I still have some audio that I'm sharing with our Patreon community. So if you are a part of that community, go ahead and click over there. If you are not, you can still join us to hear our bonus audio. Go to patreon.com slash untangledfaith for that bonus audio and sign up today. As always, I hope this episode gives you things to consider. I hope it gives you something to talk about with your friends. And if you appreciate this episode, would you consider sharing it on Instagram and tagging me at Untangled Faith? You can find show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. Finally, the Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by support from my patrons. Special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic and Phil and Susan Purdue. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next week.